Welcome to this special episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast sponsored by Cater.com and the Savoy Educational Trust and hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. In our bonus episodes, we like to mix things up and today is no different as I welcome two industry titans to discuss one of the world's under-discussed topics, adversity. Both our guests have had their fair share of adversity to deal with and we offer up our plans and solutions to help you navigate your own. So to find out how to prepare, navigate and move past it, let's get cracking. Hello and welcome to this special episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast sponsored by Cater.com and hosted by me, Phil Street. Today, we're once again doing something a little bit different because, well, you know, we can. And I'm very excited about today's topic as it's something that I think doesn't get nearly enough airtime, and that is adversity. But before we get into that, I am, of course, joined by more wonderful human beings from within the IOH membership. Today, they're all from the fellowship, and uh, they're going to help me wade through this uh, very important topic. So first up, we have the wonderful Kelly Rickson, who is, of course, also the current chair of the IOH. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm really well, Phil. How are you? Yes, very, very good indeed, apart from technical issues that we seem to be having, but that's a story for another day. Technical adversity, we'll talk about that one day. Yes, so well, for the few people in the world who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm Kelly Rickson, as you said, currently the chair of the supervisory board at the IOH. I am also the founder of Rickson Associates, which is a HR consultancy business specializing in organizational change. So I've been working in hospitality for 32 years, pretty much done every job known to man. 32 years now we're trying to work it out the other day. Don't age me on that one, Phil. You don't look that old, Kelly. (laughs) I've told you, I used to lie about my age. Now I lie about my children's age. So uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I'm hospitality through and through and uh, it's, it's my passion. Fantastic. And you've got the uh, chairman's dinner coming up in Scotland soon. Yes, I have. Or chairperson, we were we were corrected the other day. Or chairs. Yes, and, cool. uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Uh, for me, it's that's the job. So I'm very happy that you can call me whatever you like. I am not offended. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. Our first big event in Scotland for some time. Uh, I think I have it on good authority. We're almost sold out. So that would be fantastic on the Royal Yacht Britannia. So exciting fantastic. times. Yes. And regrettably, I can't make it. I'm uh, I'm, I'm away. But otherwise, I'd, I'd have happily joined because it's a, a fantastic venue. Yeah, really good. And, and it's just great to see so many people coming out to see us in Scotland. As I say, it's been some time since we've done some big events up there. Um, so I'll be delighted to be surrounded by all my Scottish friends up there um, celebrating and, and, and looking at all the good stuff we're doing at the IOH at the moment. Fantastic. Well, you're very, very welcome. I'm excited to uh, to once again, I mean, I, I've heard your adversity story before, but I, I think it has massive power. So I'm excited to see how this conversation unfolds. Well, Thank you very much be for being here. with us. Thank Bless you. you. And uh, and next up, we have the legendary Robin Shepherd. Robin, welcome. Thank you very much, Phil. Uh, it's always a hard act to follow, Kelly, but I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> you should try not... it the other way round. <laughs> well, I, I think I I was uh, 
beyond my sell-by date when I stepped down as the uh, chair of the IOH, but it was an enormous yeah. privilege to be involved Bless with the you. organization for three years. And I'm thrilled that uh, Kelly has taken over and taken on the mantle and improved things no end. Um, once the old fart of, so can we say fart? I'll say it again, fart yeah. on, the, on the radio. Once the old <laughs> fart is removed, so... If you're comfortable with fart, I'm comfortable with fart, Robin. Okay. Well, this is already at a level I'm happy with now. We're working the listeners up. Will there be any more sweary words? We swear to God. Um, yes, well, I, I've just learned not to bring up Boris Johnson anywhere near you. But anyway, we'll, uh, that's definitely a topic for another day. I burst into flames when he comes into conversation. <laughs> and uh, not wishing to outdo Kelly, but I've been in the hospitality industry for 50 years, which means that... Oh. I'm I'm definitely way beyond my sell by date, so um, <laughs> not at I, all. I'm thrilled to have an active role in the industry and uh, had a a lot of fun along the way. No doubt, yeah. I, you're uh, and obviously I called you a legend at the the beginning of that. Are you comfortable with that tag these days, Robin? Um, I, I think it's ridiculous, but I'll take it. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, it's very sweet of you, but I don't think I deserve the accolade. But if it's going and it's free, I'll I'll, I'll claim it. Thank you. Fantastic. And uh, again, like uh, like Kelly, for the few people who are, who don't know who you are and what you do, what are, what are you currently got your head in? Uh, well, uh, I've been in hotels for a long time. 20 years ago, set up an independent management company called Bespoke Hotels. We operate about 90 hotels in the UK, ranging from humble three-star hotels by the seaside to exotic hotels like the Chester Grosvenor in the heart of the city and uh, the ridiculous and wonderful Gotham Hotel in Manchester. We continue to operate in a contrary way to most other hotel companies in that we don't homogenize like everybody else wants their hotel bedroom to be the same wherever you go. We like to celebrate the difference and create local hero hotels. So that's a a canoe that we've been paddling for quite some time and it, it suits us just fine. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the work that you've done in pioneering the, the Blue Badge Awards, etc., around hospitality is phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I salute you for everything that you do. Thank you. Well, I, I'll perhaps talk about that a little bit later on, but um, it's something I care passionately about. And if I can persuade others to show some tuning in capacity, then I, I would be delighted. Um, it's a worthy cause. Yes. And then we were supposed to also be joined by... Peter Avis, but actually realising that uh, this would have been his second special, which would have put him into a, a very elite category uh, of, of people, with only Andrew Coney being the other that's in said category. Uh, but regrettably, uh, Peter has had some technical difficulty uh, getting on the call today. So we wish him a speedy technical recovery and hope to, to be on a call with him again soon. But we're going to crack on without him for the moment. He may well pop in at some point through the chat who knows that's life on the edge with the mm-hmm. i'm in podcast so i'm gonna ask uh, both of you if you wouldn't mind before we get into today's topic just to give a kind of brief overview as to why you said i'm into the institute of hospitality all those two or three years ago kelly i'll come back to you um i said i'm in because it is my industry it's my sector i feel like we have a contribution to make, but we also have a responsibility. So I I think for me, having an eye on professional standards and developing future leaders of our industry, embracing the diversity of our our sector is really important. 
And uh, I'm not one to sit on the sidelines and complain. Uh, I'd rather roll up my sleeves and get stuck in. So uh, I said I'm in and I'm delighted to have done so. I think it's definitely fair that you you do, you don't sit back and watch. <laughs> you're not a life spectator. You're a life actioner. Yeah, definitely. I'm. I'm not. I think I said it on my my call with you. I'm. I'm not good at taking part. But if you want somebody to to push ahead, I'm definitely your man, or your woman. Um. But yeah, no. I I I love being part of the institute. I think it's such an amazing organisation. It's got such a great kind of heritage to build upon and. Yeah, I'm just delighted watching it evolve into the next phase of, of what it's meant to be. So, yeah, delighted. Brilliant. And Robin, why, why did I, I can imagine that you've not seen much change in the IOH over 50 years? <laughs> but uh, why did you say I'm in all those many years ago and why do you still continue to be a, a member to this day? Well, I've actually been a member for most of that time. I, I must have had a very guilty conscience from the very beginning that I should be giving something back. So initially on the edges and the periphery and then over time becoming a trustee and taking a more central committee role and then I was asked if I would um, take an interim post as chair which turned into a slightly more permanent post and got under the skin of the IOH there are a number of challenges within it and there remains so particularly in terms of our uh, rather sad uh, self-confidence I don't think we are prepared to celebrate and champion just what fun and theatre and creativity there is in our industry. Uh, We seem to spend a lot of our time apologising for being in it. And I I just think we need to take an alternate view. And how many people out there will tell you black is white and say it so often eventually you believe them. So that's Kelly's job and my job too, to, to get the industry taken more seriously and to be uber proud of what we're trying to do. Here, here. I think it's actually everyone that works or wants to work in this industry's responsibility to to shout louder and uh, and better than we than we do at the moment. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the uh, the more of us that do that, the the bigger change we'll see. We love it. I you know for me, I never feel like it's you know I'm I'm playing a role where you've got to say good things about it. You know you genuinely love the sector. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So, you know, it feels like a bit glib to say, and I feel it's my responsibility, but I feel it, it, it is what it is. We are passionate about it. Yeah. And it's unrecognisable. I think back to where I was all those years ago. Uh, hospitality, we weren't very good at. We didn't have any talented chefs. You were surprised if you ate out well when you when you went out away from your home. These days, you're surprised if you don't eat well. So there's been a, a, a huge change in terms of the popularity of eating out, uh, the preparedness and acceptance of staying in nice hotels as a right rather than just a privilege. And I think as consumers of leisure, we've become a much more sophisticated audience. We all thought we had to be French or go to go to Italian hospitality to experience it. But I, I think that has changed. And we probably have uh, right away across the UK, but certainly in London, some of the best restaurants and food operations in, in the world. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the, the hospitality sector throughout the UK is just on the up and up. I mean, you know, Kelly, you're originally from Liverpool as a prime example. Liverpool's uh, food scene is uh, electric. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about this quite a lot. So, you know, you, you, the provinces are as, you know, cities, towns have have really held their own and they're, they're continuing to hold their own in terms of of where we are with hospitality 
it used to be so London centric and big city centric, but you know, you're seeing it spread out now and great food can be had in, in amazing little country finds and, and fantastic hospitality is, is prevalent all over the UK now. So no, it, it, we're very Absolutely. lucky. And, and to Robin's point, we feel very spoiled. I think we've got so much choice, which is why we've got to really look after it. Yeah, absolutely. And shout from the rooftops Indeed. about it. Great. Well, I uh, I think it's time to, to get stuck in. So today's opening statement is adversity comes for everyone. So if this is true, how do we prepare for it, endure it, and then move past it? And to kind of kick things off, I just wanted to, I suppose, give the audience a little bit of a, an overview as to why you are both very relevant for for this topic uh, this topic that we're talking about today you've both got your your journeys with adversity which you very openly have discussed in the past so yeah back to you kelly perhaps you can give us a kind of brief overview of your adversity story yeah i mean it's interesting if you'd have asked me this question 10 years ago i'd probably been able to come up with an adversity story about coming from humble beginnings and you know, poor families and disadvantage and things like that. But actually, my real challenge in terms of adversity came 10 years ago when myself and my two sons were involved in a hit and run accident, um, Mm. which left my youngest son permanently uh, disabled and uh, requiring 24 hour care for the rest of his life. So, yeah, it it changed in a moment, in a night. It it changed everything about who we were as a family, who I am as an individual, how I approach things, how I think about things. So, And it was beyond our control. It was not something that we did. It was something that happened to us. Um, So, yeah, it's it's strange because we kind of now have our life in two stages. It's our life before the accident and our life after the accident. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting observation. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll we'll, we'll come on to your learnings, etc., as we go through. But nevertheless, I suppose the key point there is that actually you opened up with a very relevant point around the fact that actually adversity and your perception of what is a, a you know, adverse to you changes with time and circumstance. Yeah, it's it's strange because when I, you know, I, I talk about the accident and, and it was a hit and run for us, but it was a hit and run that ran us off the road and we, we actually came to a halt on a railway line. Uh, and what really caused the damage is we were sideswiped by a train. Uh, and, and it's strange because oh, it, it's, it's, it's catastrophic because you go, oh, we were hit by a train and they go, what we were doing on a train line? You go, well, I was in a car. Obviously, a car on a train line, and so there's in itself is 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 pretty unimaginable. But the metaphor of being hit by a train it, it kind of comes to people in different ways, and 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 I use it all the time when talking to people about adversity, about people's own freight train sideswiping them, you know, taking them off their feet. So it's quite strange. It, it happens in different ways. In different, we were literally hit. But, you know, other people, for other people, it's change, it's circumstances, it's divorce, it's death, it's 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 all sorts of things. But it's nonetheless yeah. severe. Yeah, absolutely. And and Robin, over to you. Your 
well, I mean, before we came on the microphone, you were even talking about a moment of, of adversity that you're going through at the moment. But you, um, what's your your relationship and story with adversity? Well, I've um, fully paid up member of the NHS cash in your chips society now. Um, <laughs> Given them such a run for their money, all my excess tax issues have been sated by getting the NHS to give me value. And they've been unbelievably brilliant. So please, government, don't privatise the NHS. It's a marvellous institution. Leave it as it is. Um, I'd had a stressful year, uh, ignored the uh, signs that maybe my body wasn't working very well, had a hacking cough late on in the year of 2004, didn't go to the doctors, just kept going, uh, completed the deal, which was very stressful. And then my body just collapsed the day before Christmas Eve, 2004. Um, and I think that was the adrenaline saying, okay, I'm not required now, leaving me empty. I was admitted to hospital uh, as my body was closing down. I had no idea what was happening to me. I had never heard of the illness that I was later informed I'd got. But one golden rule, if you're going to go in a hospital, don't go on a Friday because all the consultants are out playing golf and don't go on yeah. You know, on a Friday when it's Christmas Eve. Um, so it was quite some time before anybody with expertise was able to say, this is what's wrong with you. Couldn't you have had a, a word with your uh, adrenaline, Robin, to keep you going until Monday? With hindsight, of course, that would have been a, a, a good thing. Anyway, the illness is called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Very difficult to pronounce, difficult, difficult to spell. But the good news is that you get a return ticket. Now, I, I may have headed off to from Paddington to St Ives, and I probably got back as far as Bracknell or maybe Basingstoke. I'm not sure which. I haven't got back to Paddington and I don't think I ever will. But I have a level of faculty which has returned, which if you'd said to me all those years ago, will you be able to sit, stand, walk, feed yourself, change your trousers, crack a joke? Um, I would have said no. I, I was completely paralysed from the neck downwards and unable to eat or breathe un unaided. Uh, so they used to feed meals in a, a, a tube down my left nostril into the duodenum, bypass the stomach, and I was put on a life support uh, system. Now, it, we'll get the violins out in just a minute. It was pretty <laughs> long, but the good news is if you've got an illness and someone gives you that little glimmer of hope, and I'm sure Kelly has found hope for her family uh, in this exercise, you've got to be positive, you've got to be strong. And for me, it was just tiny, tiny incremental improvements each day that would give me a a minute slice of faculty back. So learning how to uh, stand probably took three months um, of, of practice before I could do it unaided. And the list goes on. So it's very tr troubling. It took me two years to get back to business. I'd turn up uh, in true Liverpool style. I'd wear tracky bottoms to all the meetings. Um, <laughs> as I, I couldn't do my fly uh, up. Um, really lavatorial appearance. <laughs> I spent all my time apologising for being so such an inadequate. I, my, I was so aware that I looked so odd and so ill, and I didn't want to embarrass people who were with me by making them feel pity and, and sorrow. But you, you, the, the, the humour, which I'm sure Kelly has found, certainly I managed to start harvesting black humour, matte black humour, and uh, that was the, the coping and survival mechanism. So, um, anyway. yeah. I've, I'm through it now. Um, I, I will never get full faculty back, but my goodness, it doesn't half change your perspective and what you appreciate and what you don't. Yeah, I, I mean, my my own story of adversity, as I was talking this over with my wife when I said to her, you know, I'm lucky enough to be having this chat today with, with you guys and re regrettably Peter can't join us uh, as well, but his story is no less compelling. 
when I recount my own story, I'm, I was thinking, I do I really have a right to be here? Because the you know, if you if, if you put it into perspective, my issues are very insignificant. I mean, I, I have a spinal condition which I was diagnosed with at the age of thirty nine. I'm now forty four. I'm still learning how to best deal with that. It affects my legs and my lumbar region, which uh, Robin, you and I have, have shared some toilet stories um, regarding that. And for me, it was, uh, I was there, it was a double whammy. I got, we then got told that we wouldn't be able to, to have children, which in itself wasn't true. But uh, at the time, it's, um, it's all of these things started kind of, I, I suppose, getting on, on top of me. And I, I really did wobble through that time. And so, you know, I suppose the key point with this is that everybody does have probably an adversity story. And it's not a race to get to the top of adversity. You're, it's, it's what your own lived experience yeah. is, uh, I suppose. And whether you're, you're having to cope with a, a physical change, you're having to cope with a, a dynamic change within your family, or, or whatever that might look like, it's, you know, it's no less troublesome to deal with. You've got to find your own way and mechanisms to help get you there. Yeah, indeed. And uh, well, oh, bravo, hats off to you for uh, overcoming it and being positive about it. I, but it's such a key point, though, isn't it, Robin? Uh, the, the, the positivity element. I, I mean, I, I had a wake up one day where I had realized that I, all I was doing was focusing on the things that I can no longer do. Yeah. And I wasn't thinking about the stuff that I can do. Yeah. And um, that very, very simple mind shift change for me changed everything. Um, just in terms of that's the moment where I stopped being feeling sorry for myself, really, and uh, and realized, you know, that I, I'm lucky enough to have one had a diagnosis in the first place. I know exactly what I have, so I can learn more and more things to get to help get past it. But two, you know, go and find out what's possible with this. Yeah. You know, let, let, don't be restricted by what's not. The key thing is you've got to give yourself permission to start attacking and enjoying life again because you spend so much time over weighed down with the uh, overwhelming sense of sadness and loss and, and compromise and somehow you need to transcend that and say right I'm just as you said I'm going to concentrate on what I can do build up what I can't now but hope to be able to do in the future and take a different attitude and if you don't you, you're going to wallow in self-pity for the rest of your days yeah absolutely Indeed. Kelly you were I, going to say something I think, well I think it, it, for me it, it's slightly different too because it, it although I, the experience was my experience, the, the impact was on primarily my son. Yeah. And so for me, it was about kind of coming to terms with, with being a mum in that situation. And, and you're absolutely right about the positivity. So it's, it's, you know, you've got to dig deep in those moments to find positivity because it's, it's, it's for your son, it's for your child. But ultimately, we insisted on it for everybody. So we were surrounded by doctors, as Robin described, you know, your situation, his situation there. Harry was the same. So Harry was in a coma for four months and was had a, was tube fed and, and had a tracheostomy because he couldn't breathe and everything. And, and every day, somebody else turned up and told us what he couldn't do in the future and what he'd never be able to do. Mm. And it got to the point where we just we just 
stopped it. We just said we don't want it anymore. You know, the thing about, and Harry has a traumatic brain injury, the thing about brain injuries is that nobody knows. They're like fingerprints, brain injuries. There's no two brain injuries the same. So definitively, nobody knows. Nobody knows what the outcome will be. Nobody knows what his capability will be, what we'll get back, what we'll have lost forever. And I think ultimately what it's down to is, is you know, for, I say it all the time, it was up to us to decide what happens next, not, not what you tell us, not what you think, because actually what I think might be just as relevant. So we just insisted on positivity around our boy. It was only positive language. We wouldn't allow people to tell us what he couldn't do because we'd just go, well, you just don't know yet, do you? Who knows yeah. what the future might be? And, and it was, it became, you know, people laugh about it now I start with no as a, a starting point for negotiation you know you can't as a just starting point to show you how we can um yeah. but it, it that mindset is everything it's everything because even if you don't make it to where you want to be the journey will be so much more enjoyable totally I, yeah I, and the major thing in there as well is that it, it actually it's the realization that you can control your own attitude to something that mm-hmm. um, that you know, you get imprinted with all of this stuff around. I mean, that, in my situation, it started with the doctor telling me that I you know I can't run anymore, you know, and you'll be careful with toilet function. Make sure that you're always close somewhere and all that. And then you know the day that you wake up and you go, well, do you know what? I'm going to test the boundaries of this, and you know, let's see what happens because um, you know who knows. As somebody once told me actually in this whole process that at the end of somebody's knowledge is not the end of all of the knowledge somebody else out there will know something else and it's just a i suppose about being relentless in pursuit of of more knowledge indeed i i love it i love people meeting our boy now who 10 years ago told us he would never do anything and never do this and and, and where's harry today he's rock climbing Oh no, Harry's yeah. oh he's he's out with his girlfriend. Oh yeah, he's goes going on holiday and and it, it's fantastic because he decided he decided what his fate was going to be. We just facilitated it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually, Robin, you made the point. Uh, I think it was Robin made the point uh, around actually talking about it is you know something, especially men. I think we're historically a little bit bad at, at being open about things. Um, but but actually, certainly in my own circumstance, I spoke about it very openly from the outset with with everyone that I came across or anyone that cared to listen, to be honest. And um, it's amazing what you get back. It's amazing then that you hear other people's adversity stories and it puts perspective into your own. And it was actually a conversation that I had through that kind of circumstance that mm. really began the process of me waking up to myself again. Really tough, really tough. And there's no roadmap. No one can say, here you are, here's the, here's the salvation. This is the way to go. You've got to work it out yourself. Yeah. And people can give you little nuances and little nudges to help you, but the general route, the route that you're taking is, is down to you. Yeah. Um, not easy. Uh, M- uh, Kelly, may I ask, uh, have Harry's prospects Im- improved? Does he have any more faculty? Yeah, he, uh, you know, he's stunned everybody by what he can do. So uh, he, he still has challenges and he will have challenges for the rest of his life. He, he primarily lost his speech 
Um, but he makes himself understood. Believe me, he has an amazing array of uh, very colourful sign language um, <laughs> as a 21-year-old man now. Um, his girlfriend seems to do all the talking for him, which is fantastic. I, I've told him to get used to that. That's the way it should be. Yeah, um, that doesn't change for... <laughs> That's Any nothing to do with a brain injury at all. Um, no, no, he's, he, you know what, it, it's not about what, we have a, our boy's on a different path now. It's very strange because you, you do change your benchmark of what a successful life looks like and, and the small successes are celebrated and become monumental. And yeah, he, he's, he's pretty fabulous and pretty his sense of humor was not affected. Strangely, the part of the brain, which was kind of that, that personality piece was not affected in his injury. So he's got a very, we talked earlier about dark sense of humor. He has a very dark sense of humor in which he absolutely relishes the idea of making feel, people feel pretty uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> he, he, he went to his, um, he was in college at the time and he went to his, his Halloween party uh, dressed as as car crash Harry, which just was just really dark, and no one knew what to take it, and he thought it was hysterical because everyone was just like, and, but that you know he laughs, we laugh, we talk about it, we talk about you know what makes him laugh and makes him unique, and all the scars on his body we we've given nicknames to, and he he he'd gladly show you his shark bite on his arm and stuff like that. So yeah, humor and talking. A big advocate for talking, as you might have guessed. <laughs> but yeah, I, the the humour element for me, I mean, I, long before I would ever consider myself in a, a, a position of adversity, I've always lived by a mantra of that that laughter is the tonic for life. I mean, I think there's even you know physiological reasons why you should laugh. You know, in terms of the the chemicals that it releases into your system and and the the healing that it can do uh, as a result, and it's uh, for me, I, it's definitely and that situation there where you said actually one of the things that I, I wrote down there, Kelly, in that whole little spiel that you said there was around that you celebrate the small successes. That's that's great learning for anyone, though, isn't it? I mean, why do we have to wait for a, a moment of adversity to celebrate? small successes or small steps forward yeah yeah. he does but it's true you kind of go well he lifted a cup and everyone goes oh right okay in real life would that be celebrated but actually we get the opportunity to celebrate all the time do you know what I mean the smallest of things can be turned into a celebration and a recognition of a step forward so yeah just find stuff to celebrate is a really good suggestion from uh, somebody gave us just fine moments to celebrate. Yeah. And if you look at the pride we all take in Ukraine's performance at the moment and the most extraordinary madness of adversity from a, a totally insane president of Russia yeah. um, who clearly has something happening in his head which means he has to be immortal before he dies. It just doesn't make sense. Any rational person who sees the carnage that's being created just has to feel physically sick. It's just soul destroying and yet the ukrainians seem to have developed a, a resilience a toughness a closeness and they will never forgive russia ever this is never going to end well this will be a permanent redrawing of the map of europe and russia will never be forgiven 
and, yeah. and yet we will always and we'll always remember Ukrainian strength and Ukrainian adversity, overcoming adversity, and the stories of of resilience and uh, and power coming from Ukrainian people. So, yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic, amazing yeah. people, and showing you the that that actually adversity can really unite people uh, as well. I mean, look at the the last two years as a as a case in point as well. I think there's. A lot of unity that I hadn't experienced before when we all entered into to the pandemic and the ensuing reactions and, and all of these sorts of things that definitely from an industry perspective, I felt brought us all closer together. So adversity can definitely lead you into a, a different mindset place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, having a common enemy often galvanizes people. It worked for Margaret Thatcher all those years ago when the Falklands was invaded being flippant about it, it it was the best thing that could have happened to her level of authority in in parliament and she showed some steel and uh, some hojones which uh, no other man was capable of doing from the argentine side but it strengthened her position and people's respect for her yeah Uh, well i'd love to say that i was old enough to really understand what went on then but um <laughs> You're too young, but it, it, we have had this. It's there's something in. I mean, there's both sides of it. A collective experience. So yeah, we galvanised during the pandemic. You know, people just pulled together, and you saw all the amazing stories about communities and and industries all stepping up to the plate together and and supporting each other. But it's also the little moments. You know, the things I remember from our situation and what we went through were just the small moments of kindness and the small moments of of just care. I, I, we, the accident was just before Christmas. We stayed, obviously, with our boy, but we used to take it in shifts every now and then just to sleep. And we got a room at the place in, at the hospital. And uh, I remember going back to the room one night and there was gifts on, on the bed and I didn't realise it was Christmas Eve and the church had come round and left presence for us yeah. on the bed and you just go so somebody I've never met and will never meet took it upon themselves to be kind and considerate for somebody who you know for what reason and it just it does r- restore your faith in humanity and and there are good people in the world yeah I, I, I mean I think one of the questions that I was going to ask but but you you guys are very easily covering it was around can adversity be a positive thing but i think we're we're demonstrating that it absolutely can be you know through acts of kindness through what you learn about yourself in the the process as well from cohesing things that's probably not even a word but um robin you're a much better uh, wordsmith than i am having read your book um i haven't heard of that one but jolly good yeah no no, i I, I like to pioneer new things as well Yeah, so I, I think without question, there, there, uh, you know, adversity is should be seen not necessarily as an overriding positive thing, but it, should we therefore kind of embrace it because it is also an inevitable part of our lives. It is inevitable. Said done. <laughs> yeah, sorry, indeed. And you can't manufacture a scenario where there's a hardship that has been allocated to you uh, from a, a, an adversity schedule of, of, of possible problems. You have to deal with the cards as they're dealt to you. But what is reassuring when you meet them is the people who are selfless and put others ahead of themselves. And it's so refreshing when you see it often in the NHS, in and around hospital. And I'm ashamed to say nearly all women rather than men. And I just could not begin to 
calculate how much the cup of human kindness was restorative for, in my case, and I'm sure the same for, for, for Kelly. And if we really analyze hospitality, and there's quite a bit of the word hospital in hospitality, <laughs> and maybe it's there for a reason, because we are being clement and kind and considerate. We, we anticipate, that's our job, is to anticipate what our guests might need. And if we can spoil them and treat them and give them a, a treat, that's a wonderful gift that we can give people. Sadly, an awful lot of our guests are selfish people who are self-obsessed and um, have worked themselves into a frenzy in their hedge fund and determined to, to take someone else's wife away for the most slap-up weekend and are furious when the, the, the wine isn't chilled to the right temperature. You do see examples of dreadful behavior and you think, just take a sense of perspective, you know. Yeah. How dare you impose your stroppy mood on everybody else here? The waitress who's looking after you is a wonderful, joyous person. Be be polite. And it does take adversity sometimes to recalibrate. So uh, I'm not saying everybody should have it, but it, it can do an awful lot of rest restorative good when it comes into your life. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. There's lessons to be learned in it. And uh, I, I think lots of people said to us, oh, I couldn't have coped and I couldn't have managed and... One person actually said, and you know, we're kind of glad it happened to you because you're strong. I, I think for me is, is everybody has the capacity to be like that. Um, yeah. And it's about choosing your attitude rather than, you know, I'm not built any differently to anybody else. It, he's my son. We do what we need to do. So I think it's, it's not just, it's about having the capacity to do it and, and choosing the attitude to do it. It's being strong from within. Yeah. And you don't know what you're capable of until you put in a set of circumstances, do you? That's that's the thing. If you if you've not had those circumstances before, you learn so much about yourself in your your darkest moments. Then you you definitely learn a lot more in those moments than you do when you're uh, when everything's going swimmingly well. But you do tend to bottle up, and I'm sure Kelly had the same issue as I did, where you try and process all the information, all the bad, and you bottle it lock it in a, a, some tight unit underground and try not to revisit it. But you do have to let it seep out and exercise it at some point. Otherwise, it'll eat into your soul uh, for far too long. So you've got to give it some air, let it come out in a controlled environment, and then accept that the rebalancing of your, your life and taking stock is, is a helpful and positive thing. But you've got to process the hurt. Absolutely. I'm a big advocate for counselling. You know, I think we don't talk about it enough. And, and you know, if, if somebody was asking my advice, I always say seek out some help because, you know, what, what, what we found, what I found is that some friends who've been friends for an awful long time couldn't cope with it. Mm -hmm. They just, they, mm -hmm. they opted out. They, and I, I don't think anything of them, you know, it, at the time it might have been hurtful and I might have un not understood why and I think over time I've kind of gone it, it was a lot I was probably a lot I, I was struggling with it all so actually finding somebody who can help counsel and talk in a non-judgmental kind yeah. open space is so healthy you know I, anyone I speak to I met somebody on the train the other day and we were talking about kids and her child had been through something and I was like are you having counselling? She was like, well, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, just do it. Get help. Yeah. There's great agencies out there. There's great people out there. And just get it out, as Robin says. You have to get it out. Yeah, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen, right, by talking to somebody about it? 
Yeah. Well, it's a question of when. If you do it too soon and you're not ready, it can mm -hmm. set you back a long way. If you do it too late, you never get it all out. And you'll know when the time is right, you think, I'm going to have to deal with this now. But for an awful lot of people, put, being in denial and just saying, I, I refuse to weigh all this up, I, it's too much to process, is, is a, an initial defense mechanism. And Kelly's quite right. It takes professional help to enable you to to say this is how I'm going to process, and someone's going to hold my hand through that session. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting maudlin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the good news is that adversity comes in various forms, and you learn things about yourself. It's often a trigger to living a, a more virtuous life. And to drink for the cup of human kindness, as as we do when people leave Christmas presents for your son, as they, they did, it just is, is a wonderful, glorious thing to experience. No one asked them to do it. It was entirely voluntary. It was real compassion. And it, it means so much more than getting the latest Xbox or yeah. um, expensive yeah. gift when, when people are just doing something, which they probably can't afford. Yeah. Um, they think it's the right thing to do. I can't say I'm living a more virtuous life, though, Robin. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't say it's more virtuous <laughs> I'm, I'm, now. I, I, I'm trying to sell it on your <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> I, I would definitely say I drink from the cup of life and encourage everybody in my family to do exactly the same. So, uh, you know, we make no apologies for enjoying the life that we have now and, 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 in, and ringing out every moment of joy we get. So, yeah, we're the lunatics on the sideline cheering for crazy, you know, the most basic of stuff and singing at the top of our voices at every opportunity and get every opportunity to dance. We take it. Yeah. Good. But, you know, they'll, uh, people will see your recalibration of what, what it means to have fun. And, uh, and so you'll be imprinting, whether you know it or not, onto to other people around you who will be taking that going, oh, OK, we could do that, too. And, you know, I don't know whether you would want that, Kelly, but um, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless. Always, you know. always. Come bring it on. I don't I don't want to people. I've never wanted to be a victim. I don't want to be a victim. I don't want the head tilt and a poor you conversation that goes on. I, we don't consider ourselves victims. It's something bad happened, but happened. Bad things happen to other people. I nearly said a bad word then, Robin. <laughs> Well, <laughs> fart, fart remains the, the, the baddest of the words that we've had so far. So, um, There's still time to get onto our present government. We really <laughs> no, 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 let's move on, let's move on. Um, <laughs> we, um, I've heard you talk, uh, in, uh, you very kindly came along to an event that I was hosting, Robin, and uh, you, you definitely aired your views that day, let's put it that way. Yeah, the, the victim mentality, Kelly, was that something that you consciously knew about yourself or did you have to arrive there did you have to get there yourself and go do you know what i no i i'm not going to be a victim in this or was there days in the early days or, or whatever where you just were feeling sorry for yourself i, I wouldn't say there's never been dark days but it, it, you know the day after the accident or or a couple of days after the accident or a week or so after the accident whenever it was when people start you know tilting heads and saying poor you and 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 I, you kind of go, oh no no, I, I'm all right. We're okay. And so it was almost coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, this this thing had happened to us. This bad thing was happening to us. And, and you separate kindness from pity, and and kindness is helpful, and pity is not helpful. 
and and it, I, I I didn't like that, and and still don't to this day. I don't want people to feel sorry for us, um, yeah. but I'm I'll take kindness any day of the week. So I think it's just about knowing who you are, and and you know standing firm on on what that means to you i I don't want to be a victim but you did learn things about yourself kelly there's no question about it it's it's given you an insight into your personality that you didn't have any right to expect you would have hoped that some of those aspects would kick in um Uh, but it's very educational yeah no definitely you definitely learn things about yourself You, you think you're strong and you think you can cope with stuff and then you realize you actually can and that, you know, change will happen and things will happen. And you still worry about things, the things you worry about before. And then you think that's not the big stuff. So, you know, I do feel a little bit like I've seen behind a curtain and seen mm. the big yeah. story. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, that gives me a perspective that, I, you know, I feel fortunate to have. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a wonderfully positive outcome. From that you're you're absolutely right that what you just said there about having a little peek behind the curtain that completely resonated with with me mm. and because the that sweating the small stuff thing which everybody talks about you know don't don't ever do it loads of people do it and i still do it to this day from time to time but i, I am i have seen a much bigger picture with, with with the hand that i've been given and that's um that's very very exciting and i i guess the the flip side of that is is that if you're lucky enough to have seen it, then do something with it. Indeed, well, yeah. I, definitely, I definitely remember uh, seeing the other side when they put the tracheotomy into me. I was losing my power to breathe and they ventilated me, but I, I, I passed out as it was happening. And of course, you get this extraordinary white space and white noise all, all around you, unable to sort of grasp onto what's happening and thinking this is it. Have I got clean pun- underpants on? What <laughs> my priorities sorted out? And then thankfully I woke up the following day on Christmas Day um, and I was on various drugs, which made me hallucinate a little bit. But there were definitely nurses with antlers on their head and noddy holders singing, so here it is, Merry Christmas. Everybody's having fun. And I thought, well, some of them are, but maybe I'm, I'm not having that much fun. So Yeah, they, I mean... Bless. Nurses with antlers on had me thinking that you were on very powerful drugs for yes. a moment there. <laughs> but you, you do get a, uh, you know, I think I'm really, there are moments where I feel incredibly lucky because I've witnessed miracles really up close, like I, I, small miracles. But, you know, I, I've lots of the time I've posted to friends and go, do you want to see a miracle? The first time our boy walked, uh, I, I sent it to everybody in a video going, do, do you want to see a miracle? And it, it actually feels like that. I mean, how lucky can one person be to see that in in yeah. their child? I, you know, it, we've been so blessed to have mm. moments like that in our life. Yeah, fantastic. That's a, a, a wonderful perspective to to have on it for sure. Great. Well, I uh, I'm conscious of time. I'm going to wrap things up, but there's one question that um, that I do want to just ask your your thoughts and opinion on, and it really, I suppose, comes back to the the opening statement around adversity coming for everyone. Can we actually do anything to prepare for the adversity that comes in our life? Or is this just something that we have to accept is going to come? We don't know in what form and, um, and just do the best that we can with what we've got at the time. Okay. From, from, from my perspective, I, I'd say stop worrying about it. 
when it comes, then now you've got all the tools you need to deal with it. But the constant worrying or will prevent you having that fantastic life now. So you'll never be prepared for the freight train. It will come and sideswipe you when you least expect it. So my advice in preparation for adversity is don't prepare for it. Just know that when it happens, you've got everything you need to deal with. I think that's very salient, but I, I probably would add one slight caveat. It may be possible to have one session in school at sort of uh, towards the end of a, a child's schooling, maybe when they're rising 17 or 18, if they're staying on and doing A-levels, that just says, we're going to do one session and one session only about adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and here are some examples of people who had to adjust and something happened. And we're not going to send you into the wider world with a fear of, and dread inside your heart, but we do want to uh, give you one or two uh, thoughts as to how you won't be alone. Uh, everybody gets affected by adversity in different ways. Um, yeah, it's the stories of hope, isn't it? Afterwards, yeah, yeah. it's hope. Yeah, yeah, hope. and it, and it's it's humbling as well. And you know, it, it, if people have got lofty ideas in their life at that time of their life, then you know, more power to them for sure. But things will happen, so it's how you can adjust and how you can adapt and how you evolve your your life around the stuff that happens to you and uh, you know ultimately we, i don't think we really can prepare for the things that we don't know about but you know i think making people aware that the adversity is likely to play a part in your life at some point i think just keeps people feet on the ground yeah knowing it will pass <laughs> yeah it will pass or it'll soften and, and, and adapt yeah it does. time is a great healer absolutely Fantastic. Well, I am going to wrap it up there. And thank you guys so much for for playing a part in this. Uh, this is a subject that I've wanted to, to talk about for, for quite some time. I couldn't have wished for better guests other than Peter Avis. Of course, you were, you were sorely missed, Peter. I'm not going to summarize the learning from today's chat in the, uh, in the podcast itself. I'll just I'll be writing some notes on the subject. Uh, which will appear in the show notes at the end. But uh, all that remains for me to say is thank you very much, Kelly and Robin. And uh, I wish you on your merry way. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you, Kelly. You you too, Robin. Take care, Phil. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm in. I'm in. Today's special episode of I'm In was brought to you by Cater.com and the Savoy Educational Trust and covered adversity with Kelly Rickson, MBE and Robin Shepherd. As always, branding and artwork by Sonia Cresswell, AIH and music by Leon Williams, MIH. To say I'm In and feature on a future episode, contact phil.street at instituteofhospitality.org and to find out more about the Institute of Hospitality or to join our hospitality family, please click the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and join us again soon for the next episode of I'm In where we will be talking about mature versus experience.